if somebody's got time on their hands, go to the Instagram account of every craft brewery in the country and see if their Instagram followers add up to 500,000 people. I bet you that they don't. And welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 17th November 2022, episode 395. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by Brews News General Manager Sabrina Kunz and Dan Waters, outgoing sustainability and partnerships manager at Capital. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. A oh, pleasure. Now, you, you might just have to explain the outgoing part of your uh, title. Yes, I've um, made the decision to uh, to move on from capital. Not entirely sure what I'm going to do next. It, um, um, it's been a, a, a fantastic um, almost six years, and um, um, I'm very proud of everything that I've, I've achieved there. And um, yeah, time to time to look to new horizons. I think. And uh, you, we, we haven't lost you from the industry. You're still hoping to, because I know that. I mean, you've been a champion of. Uh, sustainability at uh, Capital, and you've you've really driven their um, program. Are you hoping that you can stay in the industry and perhaps even consult to some breweries um, who may need uh, some help catching up to some of the uh, you know more sustainable breweries? I, I hope so. I, um, I I honestly don't know, uh, but I've certainly uh, um, since the news has got out that I'm leaving, I've been approached by a, um, a number of uh, different. People and places who are keen to um, to really uh, make some big steps in their um, sustainability journey, and um, I think that's part of the reason for me wanting to move on is is um, wanting to have as big a difference as I possibly can have in the sustainability space. So yeah, I, I would I welcome that opportunity to, to to help some other breweries along that path. Excellent. Well, mate, thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, it's always hard to get guests because when they're associated with a brewery, it can be a little bit hard. Uh, so you, you, you've got sort of a foot out the door. Um, fortunately, there's, there's no capital news today, but hopefully we can uh, sort of, we've got some interesting stories to discuss. So thank you for joining us to discuss them. Yeah, my pleasure. Rightio, well, let's get on with the news. And uh, it, what started as a fairly quiet uh, news week when we were putting together the show notes has gotten a little bit more interesting, but we'll start with um, Good Drinks. Uh, Good Drinks Australia, uh, sometimes better known as Gage Roads, um, announces a strong first quarter. ASX listed Good Drinks Australia has reported strong first quarter growth and a bullish forecast for the next uh, quarter. In an investor briefing, the company reported revenue growth of 157%, with its own brands growing at 11%, citing IRI data that showed that it had outperformed the Australian beer market, which declined by 9.4% on a uh, I think that's MAT, Moving Annualized Total Basis. Um, Good Drink said its arrangement with Molson Coors and Magnus Cider had opened doors for the business nationally, leading to a doubling of dis- distributions uh, to 25,000. The agency brands contributed to uh, national distribution growth of 104%, which the company said provided opportunities for incremental own brand sales to new customers. Um, interesting story there, and I, I might actually just... Um, throw in the uh, link to the discussion I had with Scott Phillips um, who from the Motley Fool podcast uh, because one of the things that triggered that discussion 
was that Scott on his podcast, and you never hear brewing industry um, listings tend to be so small because the biggest brewers um, are owned overseas and either private or foreign listed, and Coopers isn't listed at all. The remainder, anyone that's listed is so small that they just don't warrant um, much discussion on investment pages. So uh, when I heard Scott talking about his investment in uh, good drinks um, and that he'd sold the stocks and his thesis hadn't been right, my ears really pricked up because good drinks is a publicly listed brewery that, you know, is at a low ebb for its uh, share price. Um, And that's been despite a couple of years of what in the industry is fairly strong growth, some fairly ambitious um, acquisitions and a fairly clearly enunciated strategy. Um, Anyone got anything to say about that? Uh, Sabrina? Yeah, it's funny you were you linked to the um, Scott Phillips podcast because that was I had that in the back of my mind as I was as prepping for this. And I think Scott made this point as did one of the gentlemen on your bonus Seabrew beer is a conversation about heart of darkness and he mm. was the gentleman who was ex Ballast Point distributions. Yep. Chris. Chris, thank you. And um both of them talked about that the Yes, um, scale of beer production was extremely important in terms of uh, fixed costs, uh, um, but that actually distribution, having access to distribution channels was almost more important. Um, And they both made that point in varying ways. And so uh, I actually think this point, and I think we made it on the podcast at the time, that this access to ability to scale your distribution with some of these big deals and now, you know, um, working more closely with some of the acquisitions like Stomping Ground uh, on the East Coast is actually really critical to getting that um, consistent beer flow. So to me, it was all about distribution is all about the play at the moment for these guys and, and that made sense. I think, um, I think when you combine both the ability to scale and distribution, then you're looking at a very formidable player in the market. And certainly we see that in Canberra. Um, we see Gage Road coming in and bidding for, you know, relatively minor events um, and being able to put a very competitive offer on the table um, uh, and, you know, the, pushing their their way um, into distributing into into the, the local Canberra market. Um, and, you know, they can do that competitively because they're making beer at um, big scale. Um, yeah. And they can get it there, right? And they can get it there. Totally. And and also, uh, you know, one of the things they talked about was their partner brands and their, you know, uh, arrangement with Molson Coors, which again um, is a sort of beer that will cause uh, craft beer drinkers to roll their eyes at a little bit um, and Magnus Cider. I remember uh, it would have been talking to um, one of the Coopers, and it wasn't Tim, um, over a decade ago when they started bringing out clear bottled uh, low carb lagers at the height of the low carb lager. Well, then we'll get we'll get to whether it's the height of the low carb whether well, we've seen the height of low carb lagers. Um, but you know, back in the pure blonde days when they brought out Coopers Clear, um, which seemed to be very different to what their core brand, you know, the, the cloudy but fine um, campaign. And as I said. If you want distribution in, you know, if you want to take a offer to publicans and bottle shops um, that is attractive to them, 
you need to appeal to a wide range of people. If they, you know, if, if, if you don't have the clear bottled lager or the low carb lager that they want, then they're not going to take your pale ale. They're not going to take your, your other things as well. And for a, a, a business like Gage Roads, you know, if they've got that um, mix of craft beer, you know, broader beer and then, you know, regional um, players as they've been doing, you know, it, it certainly um, is giving them a strong portfolio that they can go in, which would seem to be reflected in the uh, take up of distributions. Um, it makes it easier that they can go in and solve a lot of problems for retailers. And I know this is a bit tangential, but um, I was looking at the we know at the moment that one of the hardest jobs to fill is sales reps. So we are seeing, um, you know, speaking to recruiters, looking at the numbers of jobs that are being posted with us, people are really struggling to create because selling beer is actually getting harder. It's harder to sell into retailers. It's harder to sell into hospo. So it's a really difficult job right now. And if you could be a sales rep in an industry that is less hard and make more money, um, the industry is really struggling to get high quality sales reps. And so you flow into, hey, you could be a sales rep for good drinks and you have a really strong portfolio that makes you competitive with the likes of Lion when you walk in somewhere because you can solve all of the problems for that publican or that retailer. It actually means that it's making it an attractive place to work as well. So you flow that all in and it can only be good for business. That, that said, you know, at the same time, the, the chat with Scott Phillips, did point to a lot of the challenges that they've got. And it's very, very hard to compete on a national level because you are going against some uh, big brewers that have very significant budgets. Um, as Dan mentioned, they've got the brand in hand strategy where they're going after you know, even small, um, small scale um, sponsorships to try and get their beer in people's hands because that's the way that they compete. There is a huge gulf between being a small little local player and being a significant major player. And the stock market, uh, the share market certainly reflects that. So, um, you know, I think uh, Scott said that the, the value had declined despite you'd imagine the actual, the underlying value of the business having grown the investor sentiment is is quite low. And so you've got a, a brewery that's making, I think 16, 17 million liters a year, is growing, has national footprint, um, you know, is profitable. Um, their market cap, um, you know, on a daily determined valuation is $90 million, according to, uh, to today's 72 cent. Um, you've, you've got craft brewers that are, you know, is a fraction of that. Um, valuing themselves at, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, despite barely cracking the million to two million litre range and also not having significant growth. I know that we're plugging the Scott Phillips episode a bit, but it was one that really um, interested me. And and it's we, we, we did decide to put it on another podcast, so I didn't want... Um, uh, our regular listeners to, to, to miss it. So um, yeah, so go check it out because there was some interesting stuff uh, there. Okay, now one that kind of dropped, we, we didn't actually get a media release for this until I went chasing it. Um, and I started having people um, texting me um, a, a, about a new influencer-led beer. And I thought, <laughs> so I'm, I'll read this story and then uh, influencer-led uh, launch continues push to broaden beer's appeal. 
Asahi has continued its push to broaden beer's appeal to non-traditional audiences, launching a new beer in collaboration with influencer Abby Chatfield. Spill, a crisp and refreshing low-key lager, was released this week through the Coles liquor chain. The partnership follows CUB's September release of Fruity Beer, a beer the company described as ultra-low bitterness with subtle maltiness and a fruity flavour stronger than anything you'd like to taste in a beer. The, the brand's focus on the better-for-you messaging around calories and carbohydrates has rankled some of, of Abby Chatfield's followers, believing it to conflict with uh, Chatfield's body positivity message. Now, as I was going to say, people started pinging me yesterday. I think there was an expectation um, that I was just going to hate on this beer um, because, let's face it, I'm on the record for saying I don't like low carb, I don't like all these things, and, you know, 10 years ago, I would have died in a ditch over low carb. Um, you know, pick your battles. Um, if, if anything, better beer has shown that the people drink what the people want. Um, and, you know, th this was a beer that as soon as it, I landed and I did a little bit of research, um, I actually, you know, th th it's not a beer that I'm ever going to buy. But again, it's not a beer that's made for someone like me. But I have to give full credit to Asahi for trying things. They may fail, but, and, and I hear that Fruity Beer isn't doing terribly well, but launching a beer to an audience that is currently not being reached through beer in any way, shape or form, through somebody that seemingly has the ability to do it, um, can only be good for beer. And read the article because you'll see that Abby Chatfield, who I had to look up, I vaguely knew she was somebody in that world that doesn't is in no way relevant to me, but she's got almost half a million followers. She's had, she posted twice about this beer and has had 27, 28,000 likes. Um, and a lot of them are just sort of saying how awesome it is and they're going to go out and try it. And I can't think of anything else that has activated interest in beer in that sort of community ever. I am like Matt. Also hate all things influencer-led. I just, I don't know, grew up in the 90s. I just hate all of it. I don't, I'm not a big social media user. And so I instantly sort of balk at anything that is influencer-led. It's not, um, it would not work on selling to me. But aside from taking myself out of the picture, there are comments um, and criticisms that I had with why is she wearing that shirt. Um, I actually think the point, the bigger point is uh, the one that you have made, Matt, which is CUB have and are continuing to try to bring new drinkers to beer, whether it's this beer, it's a fruity beer, it's another beer, it's whatever the beer is. And no one is doing that at scale and we as a collective industry are not doing that at scale. And so, and as somebody has just commented in the Radio Brews news group, jumping onto the Instagram, it's a huge majority of women saying they will give it a go because of her. Maybe their targeting is spot on. Interestingly, here's a photo on of it, shelf sitting next to Fruity Beer. Can't get them, get one, get the other. Hopefully it brings more people into the beer drinking world. And so if that is what this campaign is intended to do, whether it works on me, whether I personally like it, whether I'm into Abby Chatfield is not the point. And maybe like um, the Inspired Unemployed where when it sort of hit, everybody was like, that's a flash in the pan, it's going nowhere. And it has changed the game 
for what large-scale brewers are trying to do. They are now, I don't want to say copying, um, but we've seen Traveller be influencer-led in the Better For You space. We've seen Abby Chatfield, Better For You space. Um, They're clearly onto something. And so more people drinking beer in a declining beer market, which has been reiterated through lots of things, can only be good. I think there's... um... Uh, I mean, the influencer uh, marketing model is um, an interesting one. It's certainly um, very attractive if you want to reach, uh, you know, a significant number of people. Um, you can obviously target your marketing based on who you choose. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, quite often uh, those people have a very loyal following and, uh, you know, there's, there's – from from in, in that regard, it's a it's a bit of a no brainer um, exercise, I guess, to go down that path. I mean, I think it's also comes with significant risk as well. It doesn't take much for for people to go out of out of flavour. They do something wrong, and then if you if your entire brand is is uh, reliant on that one person, um, then you're in trouble. I, I will say to both of you, you know, influencers is a new term, but the concept isn't. I grew up watching. Um, Alan Border and Jeff Thompson dancing down the beach drinking 4X in television commercials because television was the way that you reach people and they were the heroes of a nation. You know, if you're in, uh, you had uh, Dougie Walters, um, you know, you had, uh, you know, you know the, the, the heroes of that generation were the people that featured in the ads. The influencer thing is just a continuation of that. It's just that we don't have four, you know, three commercial stations um, that to, to advertise on. And so influencers can have a much smaller following. But she is half a million people. If somebody's got time on their hands, go to the Instagram account of every craft brewery in the country and see if their Instagram followers add up to 500,000 people. I bet you that they don't. The only thing that I would say, Matt, that I think is, is reiterates your point and Dan's is that... Um, Whilst influencers are not new in terms of using that term, it's famous people or people with a following and the feedback loop and the expectation of direct engagement and personal brand uh, that can go off course so quickly is different in this social media environment. And so to, to be really specific about this one, um, you noted in the article that already people were saying the fact that you branded this low carb, low this is inconsistent with your personal brand of supporting all shapes and sizes. And Abby's comment back was, I didn't approve that that wording on the packaging. Now, um, and it's going to change. And I step back and go, mm, you don't own that beer, Abby. You are a paid influencer. The people who own that packaging, who've decided what that beer is, and you've been employed through some sort of a contract to promote it. It's not a better beer. You didn't come up with it. You, you're not a co-owner of it. The trademarks for this all sit with CUB. The fact that she is then having to step in and saying, I'm making a change to that packaging, suggests to the people engaging with her that she has somehow more power in this arrangement than is the case. Hold, hold your horses there because we haven't we haven't actually seen that. Um, I have seen a post from the brand manager who was involved in developing. He listed a long list of people who were involved in the, you know, CUB side of, of, of developing it. And, you know, on, on one hand, 
the reaction that she's getting on social media isn't just fawning, gushing. People have actually said, hey, I listen to the things you say. You are important to me and this is what I think. They're talking back to her and she's taking their things on board. And she is a big enough face of this um, campaign that they may turn it down because I actually, and look, as a 53-year-old white man, which I keep coming back to, it's very, very hard to weigh in on, on, on these issues because, you know, you, you look at her followers who have who, who clearly are women who look up to her, um, who listen to her, who dress like her, and that's fantastic. You know, that it, it, it's not something that my generation of beer drinkers would support, but they're listening to her, they're holding her to account and she's responding. And it would be very, very hard for, if that's the feedback that CUB get, for them not to take that on board because they have put her out in front. Yes, they don't, she doesn't own the brand, but I will say, you know, when I did do my research on on her, she has, you know, unlike so many other um, influencers, and I've seen CUB put out beers, you know, with Matt Moran, trying to make a culinary beer when, you know, five years before I'd spoken to Matt Moran and he told me that he doesn't have any time for beer and he doesn't drink it and he would rather stick to wine. And yet suddenly he's out putting his name to a beer with CUB um, just so he can get his marketing money and, and move on. Abby Chatfield, you know, like the, I, I linked to a story where she was just photographed quietly having a beer. And this was a couple of years ago, so well before she was playing this. She is a beer drinker. She's posted photos of herself drinking beer. Um, this is a product that would seem to um, align with her personal brand. And so they've, they've chosen well. She's not running the brand, but I'll, but let, let's wait and see what the you know the, the follow up to that is. It was only released yesterday. She's spoken back, and I'll put some questions in um, to see you, Beta, to follow up. But let's not presume to tell anyone what influence she does or doesn't have in this beer. Okay, but so the point I was trying to get to Sorry. was that, um, irrespective of all of those things. Um, the fact that she is having to respond so quickly, be so definitive uh, about her her background is because she has to protect her personal brand. Yep. And the point Dan yep. was making is that her business is her personal brand, Abby Chatfield. It is not Spill. It is not CUB. And so the risk that a company runs with influencer marketing, and so this is where I was coming back to, is Above all else, she's going to protect her personal brand. And when a company goes so hard on influencer marketing, tying a product to a single influencer so strongly, is it does create risk for that product and the product's brand. And that's what I was sort of joining up the two dots. So. But, and conversely, 100%. it creates a risk for her brand that if, if they don't do it. So, but, yes. so, so there, there, there's a, you know, there's yeah. almost a Stockholm syndrome there where, where they need each other. Um, and yeah. she might have a little bit more influence. But also the other thing is that if big brewers who are chasing this market and they've never, ever done it very well, if they're, if they, they, they're actually getting some great engagement on this one already. And if they're smart, they'll be listening to that. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I um, made the mention that she has a fashion line out at the moment that goes up to size 26. 
Um, and so she's really supporting, you know, so, yeah. so she is putting her brand around that. But then the people that clearly love her are holding her to account. And I think that's, you know, something that if CUB have learned anything, they will actually potentially change their marketing around that. That really needs to form part of the risk assessment for any company choosing to go down the route of engaging in an influencer is to, uh, uh, you know, say, how could this possibly backfire on us? And I wonder if if, um, if uh, Asahi, you know, would have picked that the, these are the sorts of responses that they'd be getting. But absolutely, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, Abby is going to protect her brand first and foremost. If she doesn't, she doesn't have a brand anymore. Um, and uh, and then she's no use to 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 Asahi either. So it's uh, it's it, you know it, it certainly comes with with risks, and I don't think you can always predict um, how the the yep. community is going to react. Yep, this is one of many influencer led campaigns, but we've got uh, even in. Uh, again, the Scott Phillips podcast, I think it was, he talked about the number of breweries that and brands that have been created through three NRL players. Uh, Amy Sharp jumped on board saying she supports fields and you are seeing no traction. You are seeing them get no media. You are seeing them go nowhere. And this is someone who's saying, I want to create a beer. So, you know, it's just one in a long list of uh, companies and businesses that are trying celebrity for want of a better term. Um, but as you say, what makes this space so unique now is how these join up and if it brings more people to beer and they try more beers and different beers that is great yep and again ultimately yeah that's what it comes down to i'm not even sure whether whether they'll bother sending me a sample version of it because it's so far out of my wheelhouse um and you know i'm I'm on the record for hating low carb and that sort of marketing for whole because it makes all other beers look bad and again, if, if she can have any influence over changing that marketing and just make it, this is a beer that you might like. I mean, again, that, that that's the icing on the cake for, for me anyway. You know what I would have loved to have seen, Matt, is um, David Boone having a social media account. He would have blown up um, on his way back um, from England, drinking quite a few beers on a plane. Um, uh, <laughs> I wonder how many followers he would have got out of that one. <laughs> but it's also like, I mean... Hawks Brewing, right? One of the initial the, the influences for beer influences was the Prime Minister, and look how that's kind of come to be something completely different. But that is a great example of someone who you know you think Bob Hawk, you think beer, and, and well, look that was that's- my fear when they launched that brand that they were going to get him to scull a you know um, a beer at the launch. But they, you know those guys again, like I've come around to that brand as well. Hey, guess guess what? Sometimes I'm wrong, or sometimes I'm just <laughs> right at the wrong time. Dear listeners, I think um, we've got a nice little edit and we'll just have a button and we'll play that sometimes. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, check it out or not. Um, actually, the, the, the only other thing I'm going to say is that, you know, great that there's discussion going on in our in our Facebook group. If you're saying who is Abby Chatfield, she's probably, this beer probably isn't for you. But some of the funny ones I think is that, you know, how many more clean crisp lagers do we need i bet you whoever said that you know has got about 305 hazy pale ales checked in on his uh untapped and you know people are tossing off at this you know and saying that you know it's this isn't like a craft beer craft beer gave us glitter beers for god's sake and beers that are like milkshakes 
And, you know, I, I think craft beer long ago, like this idea of craft, long up gave up any high ground when it comes to the purity of the concept. Um, you know, you're just appealing to people anyway. So, um, all you have to do is, is ask a brewer what they, what they like to drink at, at the end of the day of, of a hard yeah. long day's brewing and, uh, they're going to go for the crispy boy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, do one that's well, that's made well. And, and then it, then it is craft. Like, you know, it's yeah, a, a well-crafted lager is still a craft beer. Drinkwise, another story that came in this morning. Um, Drinkwise launches parental influence campaign. I've been hearing a lot about this on uh, old per person's radio, as my uh, children call the ABC. Um, but Drinkwise has launched in its okay to say nay campaign. Um, at first, I thought this was something about horse racing, but it's nay as in no, which aims to educate parents of the role of setting boundaries around alcohol. 41.6% percent of 14 to 17 year olds who drink reported their main source of alcohol was supplied by their parents in 2019 up from 25 percent um 29 percent in 2013 33 percent in uh, 2016 so essentially this is a campaign and dan you've got older kids my kids are now 18 and 21 a lot of their parents were the ones who went off and bought them beer for uh schoolies and you know and, and the the mindset around a lot of the, the parents of my generation was at least we know what they're getting and where they're getting it and we can control it and so they're supplying it um drinkwise which is the body that's been set up by the drinking industry um has launched uh research to say it's actually not okay for under 18s um to be drinking um you know it's not good for their health and it's not the other thing is the logic around demystifying the approach that if you make something prohibited, it creates a mystique around it that people want to ex ex explore. Apparently, the the and I haven't educated myself about the research, but the research um, that comes from Drinkwise or that Drinkwise endorses is that countries that have that approach find that it's actually not true. Um, you know, there's a whole bigger thing around the legislation um, around. Uh, drinking, but yeah, um, encouraging kids to sample doesn't necessarily demystify it in the way that um, a lot of parents tell themselves. So, uh, really interesting campaign, really good to see. You know, like some of the best educational campaigns in the drinks industry have come from the drinks industry themselves, and yet they get no credit from um, you know the fair, um, even when fair then parrots its own uh, campaigns. Dan, you, you, you've got kids? Uh, yeah, I, um, and uh, almost in that age bracket. So I've got um, a, a, a nine and 11-year-old um, kids. Um, so obviously, and my son goes into high school next year. So this is very topical for me. Um, and certainly being someone who, um, you know, has spent the last um, decade in the, in the craft beer industry, um, sorry, Matt, the beer industry. Um, uh, um, I, I think we absolutely have, we absolutely have a responsibility, um, uh, to, uh, to ensure we're, um, serving alcohol responsibly. And, um, I think this is a fantastic move. Yeah. I remember, uh, some of the, some of the, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, beer advertising or, or responsible, um, drinking advertising 
um, that sticks in in your head, and and certainly one that sticks in mine is um, uh, you know, and this must be from the 80s um, was, you know, um, talking about the health risks to kids drinking and losing coordination and, um, you know, that it's not good for, for growing bodies. And it's not, um, you know, we, we have to look at the science. Um, we owe that to, to our kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think this is really responsible and really great. Serena, you're, I know that your son is uh, just a little bit young to even think about. Uh, he's been no, to more breweries in the last two yeah, years than I have. He but, has. Um, Dear listener, my son has been to 52 breweries before he turned two. It was part of my existential crisis about becoming a mother. But he has not had any beer at any of those venues. I think, so I'm going to wear two hats. My industry hat and my, it says, this is great. We need to have these campaigns. Um, I think drink-wise, as you said, always does, I think, the most targeted, useful uh, stuff and we should be doing it. The mum brain in me says, I thought I would be one of the parents that says, I'd rather try it with me under my supervision. I'd rather you were at home in a safe environment where I could supervise you. So, um, and I think probably this increase is also as a result of kind of COVID and beer being delivered at home and all of those other things, I'm sure, factor into why this increase has incurred. I still think we have an ongoing challenge around beer generally around sort of um, and all prohibited products in those teenage years, including why there are conversations at play at the moment around the legalisation of cannabis. Um it is around if something is completely a no, it becomes attractive. And so I still, as a parent, as a person struggling with what do you do for all of the issues, uh, think what would I do when placed in the circumstances in 10 years' time? I don't know. The environment will be different. But I think it is. this is why I'm sure parents really struggle with this decision and probably why a campaign like this is worthwhile. Yeah, and, and look, and this is purely personal, but uh, again, one of the things I do get very upset about because I think... Prohibition doesn't work, as, as you've acknowledged. Um, but at the same time, there is a difference between, like my parents didn't really let me have coffee, you know, when I was a kid no. and things like that. And there's a whole lot of things like that. Um, but even if this campaign makes people think aware, you know, um, Drinkwise did a really good campaign about your children absorb your drinking. And that was one yeah. of the ones that... Um, and I get very upset, as, as, as you know, and I've talked about on the podcast before, when, you know, the day after the grand final, one of the first questions the mainstream media will ask the winning captain is, oh, how'd you pull up this morning? How's your head? As he sort of sits there bleary-eyed and, you know, they support the Manic Monday or the Mad Monday celebrations and support you know, and, and really glorify the abuse of alcohol and the irresponsible consumption of alcohol as if, of course, if you drink, you're going to be worse for it the next day, um, which is by default, you know, irresponsible um, consumption. Yeah, yeah. And that, so there, there really is a tension. There is a balance between prohibition and courage and saying, no, you can't do it. But then the balance is that there is far too much social acceptance of people that do overindulge, um, you know, and I, I think if the conversation moves that back to, you know, a, a hangover rather than being something that's glorified is something that is a bit of a source of shame, that's probably moving the, the needle in a very positive way. And if children don't hear their parents catching, you know, phoning their, you know, their, their, their football buddies, oh, how did you pull up the next day? 
and they model a mature, responsible approach to alcohol, then you know that's where you're actually going to start changing behaviours. Yeah, that sentence um, is absolutely, I am so aware of it now that I've got a kid. I Not in a way that I ever was before. Now I'm so like, how'd you okay, pull up? No, the, um, that they absorb your drinking habits. Oh, yeah. What does modelling, you know, having half a beer on a Sunday, you know, like I'm really very, very conscious of that now. What does sensible, responsible, to your point, Dan, how can this be done? Um, it, I'm so conscious of that now. And I think those campaigns have stuck with me. Um, so, you know, anyway, tricky. Moving on. Uh, if you've got something to communicate, you know, if you're a brewer and you've got something to communicate and you're looking for the best way to get that message out other than, you know, if you're a subscriber on Brews News, can you think of any way that, you know, with, with a reasonable budget available to um, a, a brewer, Dan, that you might be able to communicate with your, your drinkers? Are we rule, ruling out going through influencers at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know who has got influence, Dan? It's Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging because... They can put your own influence in your hand because they're the experts in getting labels on your beer that will make it stand out on the shelves and communicate all of the things that maybe an influencer can't. The label is providing a new voice to the designers and artists with a very public canvas to present uh, some very terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips. Give Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au and see how they can help make your brand influence. Just a, a little story, uh, probably not much to this. Tubrac Hotel and Brewery listed for sale. The National Trust listed Tubrac Hotel and Brewery has been listed for sale for the first time in 17 years. The announcement was made to the business's Facebook page last month, stating it was time for the new owners to take the helm of the business. The listing states that the venue offers the hotel, brewery and pie shop which acts as a separate business uh, from the hotel, offering multiple streams of income. Apparently, the pies are pretty good too. Uh, I've read a couple of people posted. I, I will say that this was news for us because uh, I'm aware of a number of breweries that are quietly for sale, not quite as publicly for sale, and uh, don't seem to be selling. Um, so, yeah, when again, don't want to flog a dead horse, but when you're thinking about the value of a brewery... Um, Think about what it would ever sell for. Um, people move, something that we don't normally uh, include. Jake Harrison is the new head brewer at Helios and former co-founder of Jetty Road. Uh, Blake Bowden is the head brewer for new beer brand Traveller. Um, have a look in the show notes because we've got a new column, Sabrina, uh, People Moves, where we're keeping the industry. Dan, your uh, move uh, was in that last week from memory. We, we, we noted that you're moving on. Where to? We, I don't know yet. Yeah. Wait till it gets announced. Yeah, exactly. In other news, beer is a conversation. It was quite funny to listen back to that and it was sort of, you know, like back from the dead, you know, a couple of weeks after she's, uh, or a week or two after she's finished up, it was funny to listen to her. But a good chat with Amanda Baker at Lost Palms Brewing it was really about sort of um, design, you know, and my takeaway from that was um Really, they were very uh, – so Lost Palms is on the Gold Coast and they had moved, created a second venue uh, closer to Brisbane and it was really about how do you keep the essence of your brand in that second location and maybe have dip, slightly different clientele without losing, you know, the essence of your brand. So I thought that was a really interesting chat. So beer is a conversation. You know where to get it. Also, a bonus beer is a conversation this week. 
Uh, my chat with Chris uh, and John from Heart of Darkness Brewery. Sabrina let me put out a bonus um, conversation. It didn't quite fit in our schedule, um, and we're very conscious that we don't want to um, spam anybody. Um, so we only put out conversations we think are valuable, but it was one that I'd picked up on. Um, the, the great thing about having a podcast is it's like Netflix for audio. You can put it out there, and if people want to pick it up, they can. If they don't, that's fine. Um, but it was a great chat just looking at the Southeast Asian brewing industry um, generally because there, there's a, a lot about the exuberance of the Southeast Asian industry that reminds me of the Australian industry um, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, and at the same time, there's a lot that they're doing very differently because of the different uh, regulation. Um, so it was just very interesting. It, actually, one of the things I found interesting was the number of expats that are in Asia. And I was a little bit conflicted. As, and I, I asked a question about Heart of Darkness as a brand name um, in Vietnam um, because I know the Garage Project had the issue with Death From Above um, but it doesn't seem to have been something that's been commented on in, in, in Vietnam. Um, and, you know, there, there, there is a growing number of, uh, you know, Asian-owned breweries and operated breweries there as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was just an interesting thing to sort of dig into a little bit, whether it was an expat beverage or whether there was local take-up of, of, of craft beer and uh, some of the flavours. And we know from, you know, some data that, Obviously, because they're our closest geographical area, a lot of exporters, beer exporters, look to think that Asia as a growing market is a good place to move into from a beer perspective. So if you are one of those brands, there's some interesting insights about just how culturally uh, diverse um Southeast Asia and Asia is as a group and you need to be aware of those things if you're thinking about moving into that market. So I think, you know, some of the insights there were really, really interesting um, when you're thinking about, you know, the business of beer itself. Interesting article that uh, cropped up on, what was it, VinePair, which is one of the uh, websites I keep an eye on. Um, do styles matter? Um, anyone who knows Pints and Panels, um, which is a social media account by M. Sorter, um, that looks at you know demystifying beer in a very simple uh, way. It's uh, you know um, comics. I think is the I don't know comics is a the, the wrong way of describing them, little panels of uh, you know um, art that describe beer styles. And she's posted a story looking at beer styles and whether they matter, particularly uh, given the styles are very fluid. Um, do they consume, mean something to a consumer or do they mean something to, to the brand or are they just a marketing term? I actually feel like uh, beer styles don't matter a great deal um, unless you're coming to um, judging. Um, and then obviously you want to make sure you're, hit, you're hitting all of your style guidelines um, there. But... Um, yeah, for me, what's important is how good beer tastes, and if it's if it's um, if it's well made, and and if the description on the label gives you a clear indication of what you're getting. Yeah, I've got lots of hats on when I think about this problem, um, because you know, having managed judging and looking at competitions, you know, there's always the people who are very cranky that their beer doesn't fit within the 160 defined beer styles. Um, and just want a competition where you can choose the best beer, which of course is entirely subjective. So there needs to be some standard by which things can be measured. I think there's also the, the bigger question that I think is it's not just um, 
district beer styles matter. But as Matt has sort of mentioned previously, what is beer <laughs> and the parameters of what beer is uh, 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 just continues to sort of elongate. And so this hybrid between beer and wine, uh, seltzer, um, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I know we've talked at length about a sophisticated adult beverage uh, and that increasingly young consumers don't define themselves as a beer drinker or as a wine drinker. They just describe themselves as a drinker and they'll pick products to suit a mood. So I think actually, um, you know, the, the bigger question here, and, and then the last one I'll just put on the end is, I don't think it's so much about styles, but again, about clarity of labeling and honesty and labeling and um, if beer is only supposed to be four ingredients, why do we have so many things in it? And it's really difficult for the regulators to keep on top of what is beer, which has taxation implications and so on and so forth. So I actually think it's a really difficult, massive topic that has so many implications because beer has traditionally been something and that is the framework around which all sorts of rules and regulations and governments and, and things have come down to. So I think there is a labelling problem and sort of truth telling that needs to occur there and that's a bit difficult um, but in terms of as between styles you know I think um, we we've talked about this in terms of the maturity of the market in Australia where you know 10-15 years ago and Jade from the Weedy raised this a few weeks ago somebody would come into the bar and they're trying to explain what is an IPA and say yeah you can try this other beer and here's why you might like that and that was a tool to get people to try alternate products now people will walk into a bar at a pub and the average consumer has the vernacular to ask for an ipa or a pale ale and so i just think you know maybe the length maybe those names don't matter as much anymore because we've got um consumers who are able to describe what they want because a variety of products is available to them but I do think you know if if in your mind you were looking for an IPA and you ask for an IPA and you're given something that is uh, completely devoid of hops because somebody wants to sell it as an IPA they're probably not going to go back and buy that product again so uh, you know, I think I think it's incredibly complex is the answer, and there's lots of ways to unpack the problem. Yeah, but if someone goes and asks for an IPA, they should get an IPA. They, you know, I, I think style does matter. Beer names matter as much less, as Dan said, so long as it describes. Yep. You know, don't call something, you know, the Dapto Brewery IPA if it's not an IPA. Call it, you know, the the the, the Dapto uh, Brewery Smooth Hoppy Ale, you know, something like that that adequately describes, you know, crisp lager, not a pilsner, you know, yeah, um, which because there's no such thing as a crisp lager, um, but if if you're using a style name, it should be meeting the expectation of what the consumer picks up, you know, an educated consumer yeah. meets. If you don't want to go with the style name, if you want to describe the beer, go at it, son. Do whatever you want. Yeah, or I, com I completely agree. <laughs> you know, people know well. The vast majority of um, you know, uh, reasonably well-educated beer drinkers know what an IPA is, um, know what a pale ale is, and so if you're going to use that terminology, make sure it's in that bracket. Um, you know, if you're going to create some crazy beer that doesn't sit very neatly in a um, in an already pre-existing style, make up your own. Who cares?
like Pacific Ale, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we get it all the time where somebody thinks an IPA is going to sell, whereas really if you looked at it, it was strictly a pale ale, but they've, you know, the parameters aren't quite right, but they want to call it an IPA because it'll sell. But that's appropriating a style to your marketing, which is exactly where the problem comes in. Um, because you're not actually mm. giving the consumer, you're giving the consumer what they think they want, not actually what that sh- they should expect, and, you, and, you, and you're changing the style. The the, the other um, challenge is when you've got brewers, and we've seen a lot of brewers come out with West Coast IPAs as they've apparently undergone a bit of a marketing resurgence, and the brewers think that they're making a West Coast IPA where it tastes nothing like what a West Coast IPA did. 10 years ago during the great East Coast, West Coast IPA debate. So the brewers that have entered the market that have never had a West Coast IPA as it was styled are now calling their beer a West Coast IPA when it, you know, is not even a good facsimile of that. So so I think, you know, like it is fascinating for our industry, but I think, you know, her point there, beer can also change and evolve, beer evolves and beer styles do too. The, the, um, the BA in the US, the Brewers Association, annually reviews their style guidelines um, and having had input into that, you know, they do look at the evolution of beer styles to see where the actual guidelines need to change to accommodate uh, the new way that that beer style may be defined. So I think there is, you know, at a, at a top line, it's getting looked at all the time. But I think this question of what is beer and where those lines are and what is is going to get increasingly difficult um, as as brewers continue to look brewers and drinks companies continue to look for innovation in a uh, highly competitive marketplace. And go read M Sorter's uh, article. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Spoiler alert. She finishes by saying beer evolves and the beer styles do too, to take Sabrina's point. But there's something magical about having a good beer that is true to style. There's a satisfaction in that that will never change no matter where beer styles take us next. So go read that one. There's a link in the show notes. So that brings us to Mailbag. And Hop Products Australia is the largest grower in the country, backed by a team of experts in plant breeding, farming operations, customer service, and brewing support. To celebrate the brand refresh of their six Aussie hops, HPA teamed up with Beer Cartel and a host of local breweries to bring you the Aussie Explorer Mix Pack. This week, the Mailbag Letter of the Week will win one of those mix packs, including a limited edition beers from the likes of Deeds, Mountain Goat, and Stone and Wood. You can also purchase one using the link in the show notes, but only while stocks last. And I've been drinking a really interesting, uh, I got sent one of these because I'm hosting a tasting for them tomorrow. And uh, yep, so a really, really interesting expression of some of the classic hops that you'll know as they've uh, rebranded some of their hops. And uh, HPA are proud supporters of the mailbag. Um, This week, uh, regular Brews News contributor, Daniel Massey, um, emailed in with some additions to the brewery database. If you haven't seen it, um, we'll throw a link in the show notes. Um, we might also put something in the Facebook group, Sabrina, just to remind everybody where it is. Um, if you live in an area, um, you know, jump on, have a look and make sure that we've got, it's designed to be the most up-to-date uh, and exhaustive list of actual breweries, stainless steel owning breweries um, in the country. Um, as a reference point. 
Um, so if you see a brewery that has closed down, let us know, um, like Daniel did. Um, otherwise, if there is one that we haven't got to yet that's a recent opening, please let us know that too. Um, as at posting, our database is sitting at 614 physical breweries uh, with many, many more brands. Um, now, Dan, this one's to you, the Brewery of the Week, brought to us by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Milliliter? That's a lot of cells per milliliter, I'll tell you. Um, I'm sure... Yep, shows my level of brewing knowledge. Um, whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek. He is waiting for your call on 03 8518 3172 and talk all things yeast, including how much liquid it takes for 2 billion cells. Um, now, Dan, you've got a brewery of the week for us, somewhere that you think people should check out. Yeah, if um, if you haven't visited Browley Brewhouse, uh, just on the south coast, not too far from Batemans Bay yet, um, it's a great little spot. Um, they've been open um, about a year, uh, and uh, any one time, uh, around uh, six different beers on tap, um, everything from... Baltic Porter, Irish Red, um, XPAs, and um, yeah, and it's just right over the sand dunes from a fantastic surf break, and um, yeah, it's really exciting what's happening on the south coast um, of New South Wales at the moment. Um, lots of little breweries popping up all over the place, and this is one of them. Which um, yeah, they're making making great beer and 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 uh, serving it in a really fantastic little environment. Cool. Well done. How do you say uh, decal? Decal or decal? Decal. Decal. Because I, I call it, uh, you call it Browley, I call it Brewley. Well, and I've never been there, so I, I don't know. But um, you, you know uh, Browley much Brawley. better than I know. So uh, there you go. You've corrected my um, pronunciation of that one. That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and special guest star, Dan Waters. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great to see you. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to staying in touch and seeing... Uh, you know, where you pop up next. Hopefully it'll be uh, still in the brewing industry. Thank you very much, Matt. It's lovely to be here. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, HPA and Bluestone Yeast for their ongoing and very generous support in making this episode possible, something that you all get for free. Uh, well, there's that little bit of the time that it takes you to uh, listen to the ads, but, you know, that's that's nothing really. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisednews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out. 